0: like to ask a question for you this morning. Kids, this is a rhetorical question, meaning that you answer it to yourself. Uh, You don't answer it out loud, okay? But who are you? Who are you? Say you meet somebody in the coffee shop and they ask, well, who are you? How would you respond to them? How would you identify yourself? See, if someone were to ask me who I am, I would Probably answer somewhere along the lines of, "My name is Evan Sheridan. Uh, I'm the family pastor at Harvest. I'm married to uh, Hannah. We have a son named Samuel. Have another one on the way named Benjamin. Uh, I might talk about how I like Star Wars or how I like Lord of the Rings. Uh, if you, okay, so if you're watching the new Lord of the Rings TV show, you want to talk about it, come find me after service. We'll talk. We'll chat. I might have, like I like to uh, play disc golf. Is something I'd probably mention." I talk about how I'm getting into gardening and how we had like 35 cucumbers come out of two plants this cra- this season. It was crazy, it's bonkers. We got pickles for days at our house right now. I might make, I might make mention of our three dogs, Bubba, Ellie, and Rosie. Uh, we don't talk about the cat Nancy, okay? She's just sort of outside. Uh, but all those things are sort of indicative of who I am, how I identify myself. Chief among all those things is my faith in Christ. But you kind of see, like when we identify ourselves, we we give details of our lives. We talk about our jobs, talk about our hobbies, talk about our families. So if the question was posed to you this morning, who are you, how would you respond? See, that's what we're thinking about this morning. At the very core of our being, we need to recognize how we identify ourselves. What our, our who, rather, makes us us. And then from there, how does the core of our identity influence the way in which we live, the way in which we think, the way in which we speak? See, this morning as we dive into Galatians 3, my hope is that we would see how our identities are actually rooted in Christ, and how being in Christ changes everything about us. So Galatians chapter 3, Beginning in verse 26, it'll be on the screen, going through verse 29. Would you read with me? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Would you pray with me? Lord, indeed, this morning we've come into this room to worship you. For you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our lives. You are God. In a world full of false idols, in a world full of things which vie for our attention, which vie for our very hearts, Lord, we recognize that you are the only one who deserves all of it. All that we can give, all that we are, you are worthy. Lord, in these next few moments, as we look at your word, I pray that you would speak. Lord, that you would draw us near to you, that you would increase the adoration of our hearts for you. And Lord, that you may be known deeply, more deeply in this room this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. If you are a note taker, you like to take notes, you may want to title this message, the sermon, This is going to blow your minds, okay? It's just titled, In Christ. All right, In Christ is the title you're looking for. Of course, our text is Galatians 3, 26 to 29. And our first point for this morning, and I will repeat it again down the road. Don't worry if you miss it. But if you are taking notes, here is our first point. In Christ, we are children of God. In Christ, we are children of God. Paul wrote in verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. To understand this, we really need to back up just a hair. So look with me in verses 24 and 25. Paul also wrote there, The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And it's from verse 25 that Paul identifies who we are in Christ, being no longer under the law. We need to remember what is going on in the church at Galatia. There is a group of people who are coming in, attempting to corrupt the message that had been preached there previously, adding to it with the requirements of the Jewish law. Specifically, uh, according to the text, regarding the observation of special days and also circumcision. Uh, So we assume these people are Judaizers or Jewish teachers. And these Jewish teachers were proclaiming a message of perhaps uh, a little bit of the grace of God found in Christ Jesus along with the keeping coupled with the observation of Jewish law. And in doing those things and being found in the grace of God along with attaining or adhering to the law, then these people would somehow be found to be righteous or right in the sight of God. The purpose of the law, however, if I can state it simply, is not to save sinners, but to expose sin. And in the exposing of our sin, we realize that there is no way that we can be saved by doing and trying of our own strength, of trying to maintain and adhere to the law, because very simply, we cannot maintain the law of our own strength. So there must be another way to righteousness. There must be another way to being right in God's sight. And that other and only way is through Jesus Christ. This morning, before we can see the realities of being in Christ, we need to know, uh, I would like to show us how to be in Christ, how to become in Christ. And I want to do that this morning with just two passages of Scripture for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-4 through four says... Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then Romans 10 verses 9 through 11 say, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. The moment you are justified, made right, through faith, by the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, who served as the substitute, the atonement for our sins, from that moment forward, you are considered to be in Christ. And thus, a recipient of all the blessings that that entails. In that moment, you are called a child of God. An adoption takes place. A rescuing, if I may, takes place. I don't want to spoil next week's message, but I will cite a verse from next week's sermon. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us, He being Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As adopted children of God, we legally no longer belong to Satan in his domain of darkness, but now we wholly, fully belong to God in Christ. Would you just consider a moment what that means? Being in Christ being adopted, being rescued from Satan, and being in Christ. It means that we are no longer condemned by our sin, but redeemed by the Savior. We were once lost, but now have been found, like sheep who have gone astray, found by their shepherd. We are no longer alone in our struggles, for He is with us, promising to never forsake us. The providential hand of God is upon us. We have what we need. We are not powerless, for He has given us the Holy Spirit, who is, by 2 Timothy 1.7, is not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We are no longer dead in our sins, but through Christ has been made alive in Him. And the list goes on and on, but truly, truly, it is sweet to be a child of God, to be adopted in, to be rescued, to be redeemed from our sins. we could honestly spend the rest of our time together just reflecting on what it means to be a child of God. It's like when you dive into the ocean, you just can't hit bottom on it. But I want us to push forward into verse 27. If you're taking notes, here's our next point. In Christ, we are clothed with Him in baptism. In Christ, we are clothed with Him in baptism. Verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Question. What is the significance of baptism in the life of a believer? Think about that for a moment. What is the significance of baptism in the life of a Christian, of a believer, of someone who professes Christ? What is the significance of a wedding ring in the life of a marriage? Perhaps another for our kiddos. What is the significance of a uniform when you're on the team going out to the field? You don't wear a wedding ring unless you're married, folks. It symbolizes the belonging and the vows that a man and a woman have to one another. You don't put on the uniform and get out into the field unless you're on the team. It identifies what team you play on. Baptism symbolizes the putting on of Jesus Christ in the life of the believer. I think baptism and really communion as well can become one of those things in Western culture that we take for granted as believers if we aren't careful to remember the significance of it. When we take communion, we are proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ until he returns. And when we are baptized, we are proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ and our new identi- identities with Him. Paul wrote, let me expound upon this. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verses 3-4, through 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When a believer in Christ is baptized, it is the public proclamation of the the denial of their sins and of their old life in the flesh and the acceptance and the identification of the new life in Christ Jesus. In the ESV, that phrase, put on Christ, appears at the end of the sentence. Baptism is where we publicly proclaim and identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. It is powerful imagery to be had as baptism symbolizes the newness of life a person who believes in Jesus has. Could we consider for a moment the implications for these Galatian readers, though? Paul identifies that many of them were baptized into Christ. No longer were they under the yoke of the law, but now they are clothed with Christ. The significance of Paul bringing up baptism here is to help these Galatians Believers understand the radical change in their identity that has happened as a result of them believing. It's no longer business as usual. They are under the yoke of the law, nor are they bound to keep the law as a means unto salvation. Not that they could anyway. But there is a newness of life present for them that their baptisms were an ever-present reminder of. I would also add to say that in many parts of the globe, Believers in Christ who have been baptized know that there is a public danger in their baptism. That when they proclaim Christ through their baptism, they are really and literally putting their lives at stake. They're running the risk of their families, disinheriting them, denouncing them, shoving them out. They're at risk of their communities um, excommunicating them. There's the word I was looking for. They're in danger of their very lives being taken from them. Y'all, we don't play with things like this because baptism is a big deal. It is us publicly proclaiming that we belong to Christ and that he has changed our lives permanently. It's not a ritual, it's not a tradition that we just stick to because everyone else does it, but rather it is a, it is a symbol of the life change that Jesus Christ brings and the difference that he has made in our lives. within their identities as children of God, baptized unto Christ, thus clothing themselves with Him, we move on to see the unity that their new identities bring in Christ, moving through the text. You're taking notes. You may want to write this next point down. In Christ, we are one in Him. In Christ, we are one in Him. Verse 28. Paul says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It is worth noting, given the the context of our culture today, that this is not a verse that legitimizes the erasure of gender within our society. I could even go further on to say that a postmodernist, maybe and maybe not even a self-identifying postmodernist, but someone might read these verses and say to themselves, here's what Paul means. He means that we're to get rid of male and female societal structures, whatever the case may be, and they interpret it according to their own wishes. But as a believer in Christ, we must be careful to not read our context into the text, but rather to seek the context of the text. When we read and interpret Scripture, we interpret it by the power of the Holy Spirit, taking into consideration the context of the verses. This is becoming a task that I think that many do not want to do simply because it is the harder task to do. But if we wish to understand what is being taught here, the intention of the Scriptures, then this is the path that we must take. Let me encourage you that it is a worthy path to take, by the way. It is not by accident, neither, that Paul names these three categories in this verse. Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. And I really like what Matthew Henry said about these verses. He says, "...the privilege, or this privilege, of being the children of God and of being by baptism devoted to Christ is now enjoyed in common by all real Christians." The law indeed made a difference between Jew and Greek, giving the Jews on many accounts the preeminence. That also made a difference between bond and free, master and servant, and also between male and female, the males being circumcised. But it is not so now, still quoting Matthew Henry. They all stand on the same level and are all one in Christ Jesus. As the one is not accepted on the account of any national or personal advantages he may enjoy above the other, so neither is the one rejected for the want of them. But all who sincerely believe on Christ, of what nation, or gender, or condition soever they be, are accepted of him and become the children of God through faith in him. When we consider the context of what is being said here, it shows us the glorious unity that being a Christian brings. We are not brought into or we are not brought in on the basis of something we did not. Nor could we gain in and of ourselves, but we are brought in on the basis of being accepted into Christ Jesus. Faith in Him, trusting in the work that He has accomplished on the cross, and this is incredibly good news for us. There's a common saying. I'm going to quote it now. I don't know where it originated. I apologize on that, but someone somewhere is noted with saying that the ground is even at the foot of the cross. The ground is even at the foot of the cross. All can come, and all come by the same manner. The pauper and the king, the soldier and the pacifist, the rich and the poor, the Mississippian and the Virginian, the American and the Indian, all come to Christ by the same way. That's faith in Christ. Paul says, verse 28, you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's much to be said here regarding our oneness in Christ, but again, as we consider the context, it is very likely that the Judaizers who were seeking to bring the Galatian Christians under the yoke of the law were in fact trying to exert authority over them and be seen as preeminent among them. No one here, let me say this clearly, no one here is better or more worthy to receive salvation or to be called a child of God than anybody else here in this room. It doesn't matter how long you've been going to church our position you fulfill in the church, we all receive equal benefits as being children of God as being in Christ. Once again, the ground is even at the foot of the cross. We're all one here. There is no unspoken rule here that some of us are better based on whatever than anybody else. And I have to wonder something because this is what I wondered at when I was studying this week. Hearing that, that we're all brought in on the same basis, that we all are equal recipients of the grace of God in Christ, does that cause your heart to rejoice or does it ruffle your feathers a little? Does it humble you to think that I'm brought in equally, just like everybody else, despite who I am and who I was? Or does it kind of offend you a little that They get in the same way I do? Wait a minute. Depending on how you answer that question, you you start to see how you identify and whether you really identify on the basis of grace in Christ or if you identify on the basis of works plus Christ. Y'all, we come in on the same basis. Faith in Christ, that's it. I'll also add here, If you are not a Christian, if you were to confess Christ today, then you will equally be made a Christian and seen as righteous in God's sight as any other believer in Christ in this room, no matter what. Lastly, our final point for this morning, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. In Christ, we are heirs of the promise. In Christ, we are heirs of the promise. Verse 29 says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The Jews had a special point of pride with the claim that they were children of Abraham. And and it is significant in in the fact that Abraham was who God established the covenant to bless all the nations of the world through. You can read that covenant in uh, Genesis chapter 17. Uh, One thing, though, and the whole of the covenant is important, don't get me wrong, but something we need to remember about it is actually Genesis 17, 7. Uh, the Lord promised that it would be an everlasting covenant. So throughout the generations, the Lord would uphold this covenant. In verse 10 of the same chapter, God establishes the circumcision or circumcision as the sign of that covenant. So you can begin to understand or you can imagine how important it is for then, for Jews especially to be identified with Abraham and, and therefore with his covenant. In John chapter 8, we see the significance of it. The Jews in that passage make the statement that they are Abraham's offspring not once, not twice, but three times actually. They say, we are children of Abraham. And then Jesus makes the claim at the end of John chapter 8 to actually be the God of Abraham. The Jews, in their response to this, pick up stones to get ready to try and kill Jesus. This is sort of the background of the Judaizers in Galatia who were attempting to stir up the Galatians to adhere to the law in addition to following Christ. And so this is where this morning is going to culminate for us. Paul has to address this idea of Jesus plus law, and he has to do so in such a way that targets the root of their identities. You want to show yourself to be an offspring of Abraham? Then follow Christ. It is here that Paul is going to pivot into being an heir of the promise in chapter 4. So we'll leave that for Pastor Kyle next week. He's got that one in the bag. But all I want to draw out for us this morning is the matter of identity among these Galatians, these Judaizers, were working so hard to be identified as righteous, as recipients of the covenant, as Abraham's offspring, in keeping of the letter of law, they worked so hard at being counted righteous of their own doings based upon these things they identify with, that they missed Jesus Christ. This happens over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, by the way. Those who are in Christ, let me summarize, let me let me say this, those who are in Christ are a part of that long list of Abraham's offspring, and it is because they are grafted in by faith rather than works. Today, there's but two questions for me to ask as we conclude. Two questions you must give careful consideration to, and I would like for you to be able to answer these questions before you walk out to the parking lot this morning. This morning I've spoken much about being in Christ. My first question then is this. Are you in Christ? And if you are, then how? How do you answer the question of you being in Christ? My chief concern this morning, I really did not have a concern to to somehow make you feel good or or just get you through this week. okay? The Holy Spirit will enable you to get through this week. We have no problems there. But my my chief task that I felt this morning was to present uh, what it means to be in Christ and to call you to apply that to your life. Are you in Christ? Why or why not? And I would encourage you this morning to not leave out those front doors without knowing that answer. And if you need help in answering those things, if you need help in seeking those things out, if you are in Christ or if you're not, when we dismiss from the service here in a few minutes, I want you to come and get me or get Pastor Kyle, Pastor Aaron, get Austin, get Moses, get one of our elders, Paul or Jay, get somebody and talk to them about it. Ask them questions. If If you're a little on the shy side about things, we got visitor's cards. Take one, fill one out. Secretly hand it to us or just leave it in the chair. We'll find it eventually, I promise. But don't walk out of this building this morning without having the answer to, are you in Christ? There is not a more important question for you to answer this morning. Not even the question concerning lunch. Not the question concerning, what am I doing this afternoon? But the question is, are you in Christ? You pray with me. How glorious it is to be found in you, to know you as both Lord and Savior, to walk with you, to have the assurance of our salvation, to be given this brilliant unity that we have as believers in Christ, knowing that even though we're all different, even though we're all of different backgrounds, Lord, we all come in on the same way faith in you. And Lord, how blessed it is those realities that despite us, despite our sin, despite our proclivity towards sin, that you love us, that you call us, that you walk with us, Lord, that you are with us. Thank you. Lord, this morning, I pray that in our hearts we would be convicted of whose we are, Are we yours? Do we belong to Jesus? Are we identified with Him? Is He the root of our identities? Or do we find ourselves identifying in everything other than Jesus? Are we basing our righteousness upon the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis? Are we basing our righteousness on a, a foundation that we were perhaps brought up in but never quite applied to us? Are we basing our our thoughts of who we are upon your truth or upon other things? Lord, I pray that as we each answer these questions, that you would help untangle our hearts in the matter and that our hearts would belong to you. Thank you for the cross, Lord, in which you bled and died to take on my sin, our sin, so that in you we would have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. We pray these things to your honor, to your glory, in the name of Jesus. Amen.